From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. everybody to another edition of Goal Own Goal, a very special edition this way, which we would ordinarily be bringing to you with subtitles, but I'm afraid that's not available because I have not one, but two Scotsmen with me. And whenever two Scotsmen are gathered together, they tend to talk in very thick Scottish accents. So we'll see how we go with this. First of all, of course, my regular partner in crime, Roger Mitchell. Roger, how are you, mate? I'm not bad. Uh, I had rather too much to drink for lunch. And they just kept bringing a refill Excellent. of the red wine. So, you know, I'm feeling a little bit like I did about the 13th hole at Loch Lomond. Loch Lomond and okay. um, kind right. of, uh, running out of juice. So um, I'm just hoping you two are equally as incompetent as well, you we, were that day uh, to not bring it home. We just, <laughs> <laughs> we just need to top up that red wine. I think that'll do. Well, joining us uh, also, a very, very special guest, uh, another fine Scotsman. John Colhoun of the Clan Colhoun, my partner in golf. Um, and uh, listen, if it's two of us against one, John, so you and I can both deny what happened on the 17th green and no one need ever know about it. <laughs> I, I, I know that I've been over-promoted to, to do this podcast and I know that the only reason Roger invited me so that he could lord it over you and I about the two slot, the short putts we missed in the 17th at Loch Lomond. Yes, but still yes, better I, to have played and lost there than not to have played for, Loch Lomond sure. at all. Grant. That's for sure. Well, no, this is true. This is true. But uh, I, 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 I will confess to have woken up several times in the night, um, not uh, not just with the uh, with the putt missing, but Roger's sickening smirk looking at me. That's that's. Uh, listen, really I, I would have given you both anyway, of those putts. You, you know that I would have given you both of those putts. <laughs> They were that but short. Roger, they were the that here. short. That's the point. Would have, <laughs> would have, would have. Um, well, listen, chaps, um, the subject at hand is goal on goal. And I'm delighted to have John with us to, to talk uh, about some of these because Lord knows uh, between the three of us, we've we've identified a few of them over the years. So, John, you are the guest. So why don't we let you go first with either a goal or an own goal? What have you got for us? I got a goal. The goal was um, Angie's fantastic interview last night after the maddest game of the Premier League season so far. Um, and again, when they went down to nine men, um, there was some some bizarre play. Um, and uh, he comes out after the game, and not only does he kind of had a side swipe at uh, I think Mikel Arteta's um, rant after the uh, Newcastle. Arsenal game on Saturday, um, where he says that he shouldn't, or we shouldn't erode the referee's authority. And in 26 years, he's um, had some good decisions, some bad refereeing decisions. And if we don't um, support the referees, we'll end up with some bloke a few miles down the road and um, making all the decisions on the field. So we have to support the referees. Um, and then after that, the, the interview went on to talk about playing that really high line, um, even with nine men and um, you know, having attack, trying to attack with nine men against 11, a very expensively assembled 11, may we say. 
And um, and he said to the interviewer, well, even if we went down to five, mate, I'd still be having a go. Um, I find it so refreshing. Um, I know that some of the commentators, some of the pundits thought it was reckless the way they play with the highlight. But when you've you've um, set your, your stall out since he went in there in July to play with a highlight, and then all of a sudden you're down to nine men, what do you do? Do you go to play in a low block that they haven't coached and, and they haven't been practising and using in the games where they've been quite successful so far this season? So I thought it was a... I think Angie's a breath of fresh air. I, I was lucky enough to experience a lot of what he did at uh, Celtic and and I think he's just replicated that at, at Tottenham where a lot of people were um, were fearful that he would fall flat in his face, that the, the job would be too much for him and... Um, and that he was um, he, he was going to struggle there, but I, I just think that anybody I speak to, whether Arsenal fans, Man United, Liverpool, they all think that he's um, he's real added value to the EPL. Well, I'm going to Roger. I'm going to keep you off this for a second because I know you're going to have plenty to say about this because this has been one of your one of your um, I mean a consistent goal for you for many many months now. Um, I'll just add my two cents. I, I missed the first half. I was on a plane. Um, and I missed the first half when a lot of the fireworks happened. So by the time by the time I got to to see the game, they were they were they were down to nine. Um, and um, you know w- what I saw, I saw Tottenham still trying to play football, which I thought was great. I saw I saw Dyer's equaliser that got ruled out after Jackson uh, put Chelsea ahead. I saw. Um, uh, I'm not sure who who missed the header. Betancourt was it? Yeah, who missed the header. Uh, probably should have had another another goal there. And it, look, it was it was incredibly impressive to me to watch Spurs do what they did and play the way they played. Now that that high press, if it had been Man City playing them, they would have shipped eight or nine goals in. They were so vulnerable at the back, and every time anybody played a half decent ball through, without Van der Ven there, who is lightning quick. Um, they were going to get torn to shreds. So I think they were probably fortunate it was Chelsea. And at the end, obviously, they were absolutely shattered, which is why they let those kind of last two late goals in. But the, I, I just saw the press conference today. Uh, I caught up with that today. And, you know, I think what Ange had to say, yes, it was a dig at, at Arteta, I think. Um, but I, I don't feel like that was the intent of it. I don't feel like he set out to have a dig at Arteta. I think the points he was making, he would have made if any other manager in the league had had, had a rant, um, or even if they hadn't the day before, because there's been plenty of rants by managers over the last several weeks, I think his point was was in and of itself the correct one. Um, and he's absolutely right. You know, I, something needs to be done about VAR. Absolutely something needs to be done about it. And, and I cannot actually believe that it's been so poor this season and seems to get worse with every single passing week because now there's that real fear that they're going to screw things up. But... Um, Going back to the the Arteta rant, I'm I'm still staggered that that goal stood. You know, the fact that we didn't have an angle down the line of that ball is remarkable to me. The fact they didn't give a push when they're you know there's there's a still of Joe Linton with both his arms fully outstretched in the back of um, Saliba. I just I just have no clue what these VAR officials are doing. and yes, Angie's got a point that the pressure's there and it's difficult to referee, but you know, VAR's become such an arbiter now that it feels to me the refs are terrified to make any decisions. I think, well, we'll just let VAR sort it out and that way 
the blame's going to be on them. If I get called to the screen, I'm going to reverse my decision. I've never seen anyone go to the screen and say, no, 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 I'm just happy with what I saw. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but but this isn't it. Rog, what are your thoughts? Because say, Ange has been your man for, for months now. You, you called all this before he even started the Spurs. Um, there's two or three things in there. Uh, by the way, John, great to see you. Um, for anybody that um, doesn't know John Cohoon, uh, let me just give you a quick intro before I get into this, Grant, if you allow me. Uh, John is an international footballer, uh, Celtic and Hearts, a uh, glorious career. After that, I uh, got involved in um, helping players. I wouldn't call it a- agent because John isn't the agent as we know it. He is a, a mentor and a kind of like father figure to, to players from Steve McManaman and he took them to Spain all the way through. Um, he's been involved in governments and in, in the governing bodies and the institutes of sport. Uh, he's the kind of guy I go to when I don't have clarity about what's going on in football. So it's great that John's on here today to try and, I think, you know, make make sense a little bit of this moment, which, you know, I'll answer your question now, Grant. Um, I was really up for last night's game. I was really excited about it. And then after about 35 minutes of which, you know, half of them seemed to me to be stopped for VAR, I thought, what is happening to our game? This isn't our game. You know, to to have every single play like it was a an American football game, every single play then analysed um, and, you know, we can all have our opinions, yes and no, was uh, Romero uh, right to be sent off? He got the ball first, he followed through, um, all, all of that, you know. I, I really, I really had a moment of like uh, existential crisis. I thought this isn't football the way I know it. You know, John. You know what I'm saying. And like, I, I, I was desperately, desperately sad. And and um, you know that that we, Grant, you and I, and, and many other people for a while now have been saying what's happening with our. You know, like. Um, the idea is great. There's a number of times, let's be fair, that VAR, VAR does pick up things that the human eye missed, whether it's, you know, offsides or, 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 or various things. It has done some good things, but it is patently obvious that the people in the processes that are managing it are, are, are struggling. Now, now, we've had a view in the past, Grant, that that's due to the, the, the quality of the humans and they're just not good enough. But I think there's also an element of the processes not be wrong, not being right. You know, Ange says they're down in Stockley Park a few miles away and, you know, it's who knows what's going on in those rooms. We heard that earlier in the season, what actually goes on in those rooms and it's not great. And then there's the issue about the rules of the game. You know, Ange himself at one point this year said, you know, I don't even know anymore what the handball rule is at this point. So, you know, we've got we've got two or three things there. The rules aren't clear. The processes of VAR aren't clear. The, the men on the field, the referees, whether you like them or not, do have their authority undermined now. They're no longer the Kalinas of this world, you know, the old Jack Taylors of this world. Remember Jack Taylor in a World Cup final um, called a penalty in the first minute. You know, no VAR, nothing there. Just th- those were the guys. And, and you know, so... I'm very sad about all of that. But Roger, Roger, yeah. isn't that isn't isn't that societal? Isn't there less authority for for authority figures yeah. in society now? So so why would football be any different? Um, and and um, as you both know, I'm not really a rugby guy, 
but I would import some stuff um, from rugby into football, not to do with VAR, because we saw in the in the, the World Cup, the, well, the, the, I don't know if it was 10 days ago, but it felt as though it went on for four years. <laughs> I know football has a World Cup every four years. The rugby, the rugby <laughs> World Cup finals seem to last for four years um, uh, to me, but that's because I'm not an official. But some of the things that that could be implemented really quickly to to stamp some some authority back for the referees, um, and it's pretty simple. You know the the, the stuff uh, that that moves the ball on ten yards. It's just to me seems to be such an easy fix to stop this. Um, and and I, I was a player and and a good player. I would probably have had our. I I, I would have had. had my team defending in the 18-yard box every time I got a foul against me, I complained to the referees so much. So it's kind of uh, do as I do, not as I did. Um, and I think that we could introduce that in football relatively quickly and, and give the referees half a chance to clear their minds at times because at times it's so frenetic. The players are all around them. We saw that in the Arsenal game with the Dan Burns tackle. Yeah. Um, and then uh, with Bruno's um, forearm yeah. smash to somebody's head. And Virginia, I do think yeah. that if the Havertz gets sent off, I think that's that second one uh, for Bruno is, is a sending off as well. But I think that they thought that they couldn't do that yeah. because because as soon as you lift your arms now, the, 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 it's pretty clear that you go off. And so I don't see how that was that that's ending off. And I think there is, that's where the human element does come into it. Um, but I think the referees have got to be given some more authority. I think moving it on 10 yards every time there's a, a challenge to the referee's authority on pitch would sort it out pretty quickly. Would the players like it? No. But should the players run the rules of the game? Absolutely not. Or it would be anarchy. And, and at times it seems like anarchy just then. 20 minutes of extra time in the first half. Insane. Yeah. Insane. 20 minutes. John, John, you know, like there's a lot of people that I respect in the game and, and you know, I've got two of them on this this podcast here that are getting fed up, you know, and I think we're missing the real risk that the game could be lost to us. And, and you're right, there are, I think, pretty easy fixes here. If you look at tennis and the ability to have a limited number of challenges you know, so why don't we we just go back to referees being the man or the woman on the field with full authority and each team has got X a num- number of challenges over 90 minutes to bring in VAR. You know, that would give back the authority to the ref immediately. But here's my point, and Grant, you know, it always comes back to this to me. If you if that was what needed to get done, where in football does that kind of thing get decided? Where in football does that get decided, the rules? Now, in my day, I think I'm right in this. It's something called the IFAB. It's the old FIFA committee that um, had, believe it or not, the original founding federations, which were the British ones, where the rules of the game are decided. That's kind of like become a little bit of a smoke and mirrors thing now but what I'm saying is ultimately the kind of rule change that, that I'm kind of like throwing out there now would end up in some committee of FIFA or or, or in Infantino's you know uh, secret rooms 
And and I just don't think they're good enough to to realise the danger that they're in just now. I, I think this is a big danger. If I myself up for a big game like I was last night with Ange Poklakosnu, who is like the the guy that I'm watching football for these days, and I'm thinking of turning it all off, that's a big problem. You know, I I, I was so scunnered that it's a big problem. For those of you listening at home, scunnered means um, upset. I'm guessing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree with Roger, and I speak to many like ordinary football fans. Not that you're not an ordinary football fan, um, that are at the end of their tether with with that. They think it's just making the games too long, and it would be okay for the length of of delays that we're having if they were all right. But they're just not all right. There's no benefit. There doesn't seem to be any benefit. It just seems to be a, we've changed it from uh, referees getting it wrong, but. See, some days with referees get it wrong, in my opinion. It's actually not a bad thing because it's a debating point. Some days are a very poor game. That's all you've got. You know, I've played lots of nil-nil games that there would have been a debating point about the referees should have given us a penalty. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's part of the fabric of the game that I grew up with and that we I loved. And, and, but, but to do that, you've got to give the referees back some of the control that they've lost um, somewhere along the way, but this, Rog, let, let, me, let me come back to you on this. Does, is, does this somehow weave its way into your product market fit? Is this an attempt to fit the game to a market? Is is that what this is? Because no. you know, Arteta was was a bit frantic with his stuff, but but he was right. He said, "You want to call this the best league in the world? It's pathetic having this kind of refereeing." cataclysms every single mm. week um it's a detriment to the league do you, do you think that this whole var exercise is i don't know a way to just let's get more technology in the game and make it more appealing because we're using technology because no no no, no. I, i'm with john right when referees make mistakes that's what you're in the pub talking about afterwards it doesn't <laughs> not, it didn't matter to anyone well, I mean, if you're saying, uh, Arteta's point, I, I agree with, you know, like if you mess this up much more, the product market fit, you risk losing it. I agree with that. You, you, you've got to aim for excellence in refereeing as well. And I think you, they can get a lot better. Um, you know, you're right also, Grant, when you say it's the debating points, you know, Twitter's full of it. Uh, this thing about what Arteta put out, and what Ange replied with to come back to the original, you know, uh, goal of John, it's a big talking point, you know, because um, Grant, you said um, I'm sure he wasn't having a go at Arteta. I can fucking tell you he was. You 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 don't know Ange Pogacar. He is. No, no I, I'm, you're right. Maybe I don't. I did. I just didn't read it that way. I didn't. I didn't he, read it like a. Oh, I'm a Spurs guy. I've got a chance to have a dig at the Arsenal here. I didn't. I didn't. I, see it like I, that. I, I, I did. Is what I meant. I did. Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe, okay. may, maybe, maybe, you know, I saw him in Glasgow where the whole shooting match is about them and us and bragging rights and getting one into them and giving them a kick. Um, and, you know, Ange comes across as this kind of like koala bear, you know, this wonderful guy, but he's super nice. But I think, I don't think they've realised who this guy is. I don't know your view, John, but I think this guy has got the great ability to come across as Mr. Nice Guy and be a real, real hard bastard. He had you being it out 
<laughs> no question, he had your bane out, Roger. Absolutely. And he was getting into the he was getting into the wounded. And and you mean on that um, just human nature psychology. Um, so Mikel Arteta comes out and and canes the referee and the referee in fraternity in effect. Ange does the opposite. It will be interesting to see the rest of the season to see if either consciously or subconsciously there is after effects of that in the decisions that are given to both clubs. Because don't think for a minute that the referees won't be, be behind closed doors saying, what about Arteta having a go at us public? Do that in private. Don't do that public. And by the way, that hands is a right good lad, eh? That hands is a right good... You know, and then when it comes to that decision, does that affect anybody? In my opinion... I think human nature, it does. It was interesting. Um, I had an exchange with Arch Gunnar, um, Elliot Richardson, um, after the Arsenal game. And um, can't see everything we discussed, but it was along the lines of what you were suggesting, John, that um, referees are influenced. And I'll take it away from English football for a moment. In Italy, it is standard practice that when a decision has gone against you, that you let the hounds of hell loose the next day in the media and you go after everybody, you come out with the last 10 decisions that went against you and more often or not, you will get the next three. It's just part of the way of doing it. Your interpretation that maybe is correct for a modern world of 2023 is that it works the other way and they will favour the good guy as opposed to the one that's caned them. If I come back to my opinion that I don't think these are the greatest humans that you can get, refs, um, I I kind of think Arteta was smart in what he did. Even though Ange is getting all the plaudits now, I think they'll be a wee bit scared to try and even up on, on Arsenal now. I think. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting it came at, at Newcastle because it, it, it reminded me a little bit of um, Kevin Keegan's Rant against um, United. I will love it. Um, which which was in the same in the same um, uh, stadium. Yeah. Um, and and but that was in April. There's a difference. Yeah. 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 That's true. Well, listen. Let, let's let, let's get off VAR because we seem to be spending way too much time talking about VAR. Can, 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 can I answer the second part of your question, Grant? Can I answer the second? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. On Ange, ahead, you know, Ange, Ange, um, you know, I. Let's be clear on this. Um, Spurs probably were holding about three or four points more than they deserved it up to last night because they'd been a wee bit lucky. They'd got a lot of late goals and everything like that. And 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 I'd said that. I'd said, look, you know, the, the things will even themselves out. And, um, you know, they go one up there. They nearly go 2-0 up. But, you know, it's, then it's chalked off. And you're thinking they're going to continue. And then the whole world, as it can happen very quickly in football, turns against them, down to 10, everything like that. And then I, that's why I didn't turn off last night, because I thought, I want to see this Spurs team now. Old Spursy, you know, you know, weak Spurs, you know, the ones that, that collapse. I want to see them now, especially when they're down to nine. And what did we see? We saw a team that ran their bollocks off. We saw a team with a high line. Uh, as John said, they were still going for it. They had a couple, if not three, chances to get an equaliser before they, they, they lost the last couple of goals. I think this was a defeat last night that is going to build a great team 
for Spurs because I genuinely believe that Ange is an unbelievable talent in terms of creating a group of men. And, and, and this takes me on a little bit to you know my general own goal for the two of you. Everywhere I look in football now, I'm just struggling to see what I call and what we knew in our lifetime as a team building exercise where a team comes together as a group of men that then go into battle together, come what may. You know, um, you know the, the, the Leeds team, you, you know, the, 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 the Fergie's Man United team, all this kind of stuff. I just feel that everywhere I look at, whether it's United or even Chelsea or, or some of the other teams, you can see that they're a collection of 11 lads that are there together. They're probably looking at their XG. They want to see their stats at, at the end of the game. It all seems very individual. You know, Rashford, you know, after getting humped, you know, uh, goes out and, and, and parties for, for, for you, know, you know, you know what I'm saying there? Ange seems to me the only one that's bucking this trend that, 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 that's about team building. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that, Rog. <clears throat> I thought when you were when you were talking about the old Spurs when they went down to nine men, I thought you were gonna say, you know, the old Spurs would have gone on and lost four one. That's what would have happened to the old Spurs. Um but no look, you you're right, this team building thing is interesting. Although the Rashford thing, um, you know, had they won that Manchester derby, do you think there would have been any blowback on him having his birthday party that night? I doubt it. I doubt it. Didn't. No, no, no. I, I get that, right? But his his birthday party was arranged that night. It's his birthday, whatever, right? It just the fact that because they lost, it's a bad thing. If they'd won, it would have been okay to go out and do that. I, I don't know. I just find the whole thing. No, I'm not buying it. Grant. No, you're wrong. I'm not buying it. I played. I played in a lot. I played I a lot of derbies. I played for Hearts. I played for against Hibs. I played Millwall, uh, West Ham. I played against. Rangers, Celtic, and I'll tell you, if, if I'd got beaten, not 3-0, 3-1, not that, if I'd been beaten 1-0, I wouldn't have shown my face out the door that night. And, and and better than that, I would have made my family's life a misery because it hurt me. It really did hurt me. And I couldn't have looked our fans in the face, even though in some of them, I didn't have a natural connection to the fans Historically, and I would I knew how much it meant to them. I really did, and I couldn't have gone out and because I wouldn't have enjoyed it for a start. I would have made everybody up that party miserable. Now, I get it was arranged, but it's, over the last few years, why would you arrange it after a Man City Man United yeah. game when you're second favourites? <laughs> Do no, I, I, I get that, it. I get it. That's that's a statistical fact. So, so one, why would you arrange it then? I don't care when your birthday is. I mean, nowadays you, you don't have a birthday; you have a birth week. It seems to me. You know what I mean, and, and the days gone by you used to have 100%. a stag night. Now it's got to be. It's got me four weeks in Vegas. Hundred um, percent. Do you know what I mean so? It's not like it's. It has to be on that night of the game. It can be some other time. At the end of the season, you go and have your birthday. You know, when there's an international break, if you're not going away, or even the night before you go and join up with England, have it then. But just just be, just recognise what the fans, your fans, are feeling. And that, that is something that I think that we have got away from. 
in the last 15, 20, maybe 30 years. And I'll tell you when that changed, Grant, in my, in, in my opinion and in my experience, which is which is uh, which is why I've been over-promoted to being on this this podcast. Um, a little even being in a Scotland squad, I was over-promoted for a couple of I played against those giants of world football, Malta against and Saudi Arabia, who actually now are a world power. I can actually say that now. John, you've done um, better getting onto this podcast than you did getting the Scotland squad. <laughs> no, we had good players then. Yo. Morris Johnson, Alan McAvelli, Brian McLean. Yeah. You know I mean? we, we, we had Frank McAvelli. We, we had Charlie good Nicholas. players then. And those... I still sneaked in the, the in the back door of the of the squad uh, for a couple, but the the and I think it changed round about when I was when I was coming to the end of my career, and and the change in, in the the fan player relationship was was quite stark for me, and and I used to do columns I wrote about this and when when I when I went to just Celtic and I and I played with Hearts. We had we went to supporters' dinners, dances. So they would present a player of the year, um, and most clubs have them. Had them. Well, then we didn't go because there was a rota where I went this day, John Robertson, Morris Johnson went this time, he went nothing, and the communications department came and said it's your turn to go to Dander Hall Ha, it's your turn to go to to Paul McStay Celtic Supporters Club dinner. We went because we wanted to be. We wanted to go there. They, the fans were the same as us. We were cut from the same cloth. We came from the same backgrounds. We we didn't have any issues with people breaking confidentialities with social media that the players have got now. But the relationship changed in, in, in my from my perspective. When I played, people would come along to the games and we would go in the pitch and the supporters would engage with us right away. They would inspire us. They would get into the game from minute one. Towards the end, and there was a little bit of all-seater stadium coming, they would come in, sit back and go, tell you what, fucking do something. Do something, and then I'll engage in the game. And if you do something and that motivate me to become engaged in the game, then I'll inspire you. So the, the relationship for me changed between from them inspiring us sometimes, because every player has off days, I'm not sure about Manchester United players having to be motivated by a sign at Fulham saying, play like you mean it. It's not sure about that. I think you should always play like you mean it if you play with any professional football club, far less Manchester United. But the relationship changed between the fans. The exceptions were European nights, your derby game, your game against the team that was, because I never played really with the teams that were, were um, uh, dominant, the team is dominant, so if, if you mean Paderborn going to, to uh, playing against Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich come to town, the Paderborn fans will be in it right away. Whereas if Mainz come to town, I think the fans are saying, okay, show me something. Show me something and I will get involved. I think that was a sea change in in the relationship between players and fans. And I think that, that now there's a, in, in a lot of clubs, there's a complete disconnect from that I, I, I'm old, so I call them Jeffersons. It's not Jefferson, I understand that, although it's peeping back. Um, from the stands to the pitch, I think there's a disconnect in, in many, many clubs. And I think that last night at Tottenham, the, the noise was absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal noise. And I've never been to that stadium and I'm so desperate to go. Uh, but when I watched Mourinho's team's contest, 
I would have said the noise was 20, 30%, 40%. Lastly, it was like a proper stadium, a proper atmosphere. And I think that is because those those fans and those players and Ange Postacoglu have found the connection in, in a common goal. And I think that's where it's at. I think, and I, I think you're right, Roger. I think that's what's got to happen. Like it's Alex Ferguson's teams, and I don't think he he had one team. I think why he's the greatest manager that that, that I ever saw was he built three or four different teams in three or four different styles. I think a lot of managers who have success are built on one style or one team, and then when that came, he just ripped it apart, got a new assistant manager in. And went again and rebuilt a team. That's why I think he's the great. He's great for me. I, I want to talk about the greats later on, anyway. Um, but I think that disconnect between fans and players is is real. And I think that um, the players have just got to be a little bit more savvy in, in in how they deal with certain things, Grant. And but I get your point. It's just a birthday party. Nah, no, it's look, just, it's, 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 John, you, you've it's convinced just, me. It's just a bit of cake, a COVID party. It's just a bit of cake. It's all yeah, part no, of the no, same. Your point same, is great. Same eroding. Yeah, your point of, is great, and you make it and you make it so well. And and I I, I will in front of everybody listening to this podcast do a hundred and eighty degree turn and say Rashford, what a cock for going out <laughs> on this birthday party that night. No, I it's cannot, not. I cannot it's believe just, he a, did that. <laughs> no, look, you're right, uh, John. You're right, and, and that and that that um, you know, harking back to that period, I, I, you know, even at Fulham. <laughs> even at Fulham, which is one of the more genteel audiences you're going to find anywhere in the football league. But but I, I recognise that change from back then. You know, I recognise the change from the roar at the beginning of the game and the crowd being absolutely in it from minute one to now, all right, let's see how this game goes. Let's see if we're on top. You know, do we need to barrack them? Do we need to cheer for them? I don't know what's, how it's going to go, but let, let's see. I, I think it's such a great point. Right, what's, what's your take on all that? Listen, this is why I... Uh... I, I thought Ange would do well in England or wherever because I saw w- w- what he's got that effect. You know, the way he speaks um, before games, after games, you know, he, um, he's he got that ability to, to get players and, as John says, the fans right behind him really, really quick. And I think that's unique these days because you know with all the will in the world you know we talk about how you run a football team what the, the structures the director of football yes no you know data recruitment all of this kind of stuff you look at ajax you know what's gone wrong there oh at, at the end of the day I, i'm a believer that the, the, the huge differentiator now is whether you can get the whole club in the widest sense which includes team Uh, board of directors and fans on the same page is the ultimate differentiator. If you can get them all up for it, you can do anything in football now. Uh, And, you know, I think that's... I'm not going to say he's going to win the Premiership, right? Because I don't think his squad's good enough. He's not even got a bloody centre-forward, let's be honest. But, you know, I would be very scared if I was everybody else because this guy... This guy is a little bit special, um, so you know that's what he's done, and that's what others don't do. You know, let's look at Man United. Let's come on to Man United a little bit. It's a club John knows really well. Uh, and John, I'm not going to ask you to like talk about stuff you don't want to talk about, so you can say what you want. Um, but let's look at Man United. Man United, I've got in my opinion, what is a great coach. 
You know, Eric Ten Hag is a great coach. His record at Ajax proves that. What's wrong there? What's wrong in there is that you couldn't be the opposite of what I just said before. The board of directors and the ownership is completely separated from the running of the football department. It's unclear what why they're buying players, why they're not buying players. It's unclear, you know, look at even just look at the stuff they had with Greenwood and everything like that. And and you know and the fans, the fans are are are, are are completely disengaged, up and down. You know, they don't know whether they're coming or going and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and you know, a little bit the same with Chelsea. The American comes in, he doesn't manage to get all that together. And, and you know, that's what I think now. I think that's how you run a football team to give yourself half a chance. You've got to have some kind of like Messiah, John the Baptist figure that just says, follow me. Um, we're going into the desert. You might get hungry. You know, you might uh, not have anything to drink, but we are going to the promised land. And, you know, that's what I see when I look around football. There's very few examples. Ange is one of these guys that, for me, is completely like that. And and that's why I'm loving it. But, you know, Man United, you know, John, do you tell me, what's this? Tell me about this. What's going on here? If I understand correctly... Like Radcliffe's coming in, he's taking twenty five percent, but he's running the football side. Is that is that the plan? Yeah. See, the problem with uh, just to, to 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 kick back on what you said, the problem in the best Monty Python um, uh, type of Monty Python when somebody comes in, it's a messiah. Messiah, it turns out they're actually a lot of naughty boys when they come in. Um, if, if you were the Glazer family, why wouldn't you? allow Jim Radcliffe to come in and give you all of that money for 25%, not having control, run the football department, because I'm not saying they don't care, but it's not what they're in it for. They're not in it for United's glory. And by the way, they've spent a lot of money. They have spent a lot of money. But what is I think one of the problems for them, Roger, is that everybody thought that you didn't want to be the, the man that replaced... Sir Alec Ferguson. You want to be the man that replaced the man that replaced Sir Alec Ferguson, which is Moise. But the fact is that it was such a dictatorship under Sir Alec. He was so good at controlling every single last facet of that football club. Granular details of the scouting, of the of the recruitment, of the talent ID. Talent ID and recruitment are, are, are separate, separate things. And he also had a fantastic partner, wingman, and David Gill. Those two were absolutely off the charts good at what they did. So when you do that, and, and Sir Alex's knowledge was just about all in his head, just about. So you come down and you've got no process. You have got no process, and everybody else is starting to build process, starting to build data. And then all of a sudden, you come in and, it, and it's Moisey. And Moyes is a great manager and he's proven you've got to win something in Europe with, with West Ham. And so, okay, well, Moyes has not got a success at Sir Alec. Okay, let's get rid of him. Let's bring, who will bring in? We'll bring in Van Gaal. Is Van Gaal the same culture as Man United? The question's got to be asked. Then you get rid of him. Then who do you bring in? Well, let's bring in Moy and Mourinho. Then we bring in Solskjaer. There is no pattern to 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 doff your hat to the culture of this football club. 
And the culture of the football club is the most important thing that feeds into the success of any football club. So you look at Manchester City at the moment. Manchester City, every single one of them, sing from the same hymn sheet. You've got Pep, you've got Ferenc Arellano, you've got Chiqui Bergstein, you've got the scouting department, you've got the recruitment department, you've got the academy. All of them are singing off absolutely the same hymn sheet. They, they, they've got no cultural issues. Manchester United have got cultural issues because after Salix, and they suffered from it after some Busby as well, if you remember. Oh, yeah, in disaster. It's not, you, mean, you, keep, you, 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 you go back to Grant, your introduction, your recommendation of the fourth tournament, the cycles, they, they suffered from it when they got relegated, when, when, when some Mark Busby went and Franco Farrell came in. And, and, and you know, I was lucky enough, and in, in, uh, I, I know you can't probably tell, you maybe, maybe can, that my, my accent is thick with Mancunian um, vowels, that um, my dad, my father was a player with the uh, older athletic, the Latics, and um, so we lived in, in Manchester, so in Manchester, and they used to take me to see uh, Bess Loncharum in the punt when, when I was a very small boy. So I've got an affinity with that football club and how they played. And it's cultural, and it's like Tottenham. Tottenham swung from Pochettino, who was culturally a good fit for the, the Tottenham fans because they want to play in a in a in a uh, an expansive aggressive way. But then you swung to Mourinho, not a Tottenham in my opinion, not a Tottenham coach. Conte, not a Tottenham coach. And, but these are great coaches. Yeah, they are. But they're not cultural fits for the football club. The most important bit is you get a cultural fit for the what are you? Who are you? Who are your fans? Most fans first thing they want is they want every single player to work their box yeah. off. And they want to, and they want because what they want to do. I I I achieved a higher um, standing with one particular club at Hearts because then then I should do because of my ability because it was great players that play for that football club. But the one thing that I think I did, I think that I played as those players, uh, those fans think they would have played. So I went out there and I gave it everything I had. I got checked, I got, I got up and I went back again. And, but I tried. And they, they will forgive anything if you try. Not kidding on your time, because football fans and other football players will, will work that out pretty quickly. Pretty quick. And there's a lot of them going yeah. you know, When you're 3-0 down and you're running quickly to take a throw in, that's not flying with fans. That's just not flying. When you're 3-0 down and you're going and closing people down and do what you should do at 0-0, Fans know, eh? they go and watch them. They go and watch the players every week, home and away some of them. And they know, they can they can suss out the villains really quickly. Yeah. And, and if, I was, if I was in a football club, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be influenced by a lot of the fans' forums and a lot of the online stuff, but I would be taking notice of it because really early, they can, they can identify the Kidderons and coaching staff in, in, in players and what's going on. And I think that clubs have just got to be, got to find their culture and go down there. I think Ten Hag's a fantastic coach. I don't think he's cultural fit for Man United. I really don't. I don't think when you go away to Burnley and you've got 58% um, possession against you is what Man United are. But he's come in and it's almost an impossible job, Roger, in my opinion, with Man United because it's so deeply entrenched in trying to recover 
what they had under Sir Alex. And every department is 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 trying to find their way. But they not only did they lose Sir Alex at the same time, they lost David Gill. It was a fantastic, fantastic chief executive. Professional, got things done. But to, to speak to your point with, with Ange, he had a, he had a um, steely side to his personality that if he had to do something, say something, negotiate a certain way, he would do it. Well, let's just let's move away from football because we're we're forty five minutes in and it's been fascinating. But we should try and drag in a couple of other sports. Roger, have you got anything? I've, I've got uh, I've got a little bit of golf I'd like to talk about, and I know that's a subject close to at least two thirds of our hearts. Firstly, uh, firstly, um, uh, you, the, I don't know if you saw this, Roger. I think I, I think I sent you last week, maybe that uh, two top golf facilities, one in Baltimore and one in Philadelphia, are both up for sale. Um, which I found very, very interesting. You know, we've talked about we've talked about the the, the the changes that higher interest rates are going to have. You know, Top Golf is a poster child for the kind of peak of let's throw a load of money at all kinds of things. It's a peak of that with golf, um, and these are big, big facilities in Baltimore and and Philadelphia. Um, you know, the, the Baltimore one. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not sure why it's on the market, but the fact that someone spent the kind of money they spent to build a facility like that three blocks from where they filmed The Wire, and if anyone's seen The Wire, they kind of know what kind of area that was. Um, it, it, whichever way you cut it, whatever the reasons for selling this, um, it, it's another sign that that the world is changing if if these top golf facilities, which were all the rage, you know, top golf was the was the future of golf. Um, you know, since Callaway bought Top Golf, the, the shares are down sixty three percent, I think, since then. Um, so, yeah, there are an awful lot of signs here that um, that the money being thrown at golf, and this obviously inevitably comes back to live and the kind of money they were throwing at this right at the time when Top Golf was at its peak. It makes you wonder what the future there is. But also, you know, this week we've seen a lot of announcements from TGL. You know, this the, the, the Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy. I guess let's call it a live competition, um, you know, a, a, a kind of sop to what live were doing to try and attract the same kind of fans. Um, and the and the first thing we saw was was uh, you know a video of Colin Morikawa being told he was going to be on the LA Country Club team. I don't know if you saw this, but we had one of the owners of the team who I don't even know. He's obviously some businessman or he's an investment banker or something, right? But obviously a, a cool guy because he's you know, dressed casually and whatever. And he's, you see him saying, hey, Colin, I just wanted to call you and see if you wanted to play for Los Angeles Golf Club or whatever it's called. And then you get Morikawa, you know, with a camera crew who happened to be there in the room with him. You know, it's so fake. It's so fake as to be laughable. And Morikawa's response that, you know, this is to him better than the Ryder Cup. I mean, A, if you're an American player, it probably is better than the Ryder Cup. <laughs> but it's just so phony, Roger. It's, it's everything that we've railed against and everything I've seen out of this TGL since then. We've seen John Rahm pull out because he didn't want to make the commitment to it. Obviously, that started Live Whispers going on. I, I, don't, I doubt he's going to go to Live. I just don't get the feeling that it's the money that really matters to him, but we'll see. Um, but everything that's come out from the from the kind of tacky social media videos to the uniforms to the fake banter, you know, I think this thing is going to be a flop. I think it's going to be a massive flop. I really do. I think people will be interested at the beginning. 
And then they are going to, like we've said so many times, they are going to realise there is nothing, to, to John's point about the soul of a football club, there's nothing to connect to here. It's not real. It's all fake. It's all hyped up. And from celebrity boxing, which we've talked about in recent weeks, to the, you know, the match, the celebrity golf things, all this fake stuff, all of it, it falls over so quickly once people realise that there's no substance to it. Uh, uh, John, you, you're a big golfer. I'm curious as to, as to your thoughts on all this. Well, as long as it's streamed or on a platform I can get access to, I've never seen the live because it's too difficult for me to, to watch it. But on the on the TGL stuff, if it's on something I have access to, I watch it to see what it's like. I'm, I'm not confident that it'll engage me. I like watching people play outdoors. I like people, I'll, I, and usually when you say I'm quite old school, it means you're quite old, and, and that's absolutely true. Um, yeah. And and I, I still would rather watch the tournament from Mexico that I didn't to see Matt Kuchar got knocked off his his bed because he's got history in Mexico, as we know, with with the non-payment of candies and all of that stuff. To see if he could he could um, keep it going. That even even though I've got no real skin in that game, I was interested enough to watch it till the end because I get it. I absolutely get it. With TGL, will I get it? I hope I'm open-minded, but I'm probably not. But I'll watch the first couple. I'll watch the first couple to see if... Because I like Rory and I like Tiger. I, mean, you know, I like some of the people involved. And that ultimately is what, what I'll tune in from early but I'm expecting to tune in and tune out pretty quickly. It'll have to be something special to make me sit in on a Monday night and watch what they're going to be putting on. Yeah, I mean, but that's, yeah, Rog, this comes back to our perennial debate here because, you know, John, John and I are the same. I, I, I would absolutely tune into the first one. I think I'm going to hate it and I, I, I fully expect to turn it off. But it comes back to this argument of yours that John and I aren't the audience they're going for, um, which is perfectly fine I, I i accept that but again you know i keep coming back and, and it's really surprised me how quickly the bloom is off the rose with the celebrity boxing and the and the cross discipline you know the the fury and gana fight it, it's happened so fast that it's not just that people have lost interest in it but it's getting pilloried for being all the things that, that it always was right it's not like something new's happened people have suddenly decided to focus on what it really is, which is nothing. Um, and so I'm very curious as to what you think with this golf, whether it will be a similar trajectory or it's got a better chance. I'm curious to think what you, to, to hear what you think. Well, there's two or three things in there. The, um, the first one, you know, because I feel that at some point I have to push back on your increasing uh, bullishness about the end of fake I feel that my responsibility is to push back on that a little bit. Push uh, back, my friend, push back. Um, I would just say this, you know, if I was debating you, I would say, look, so can I conclude, Mr. Williams, that you believe that the current 72-hole format for golf will still be around in 20 years? And um, I don't think it will. So, you know, my my argument I get to you but is... I'm not going to fight you on the fact that some stuff that they're trying is naff or that it's got a shelf life that goes sour very quickly. 
I always come back to the fact that the option to do nothing, I think, is not is not is not there. Um, live, I, I I think whether you can see it or not, whether you've got access to a platform or not, that doesn't work. I agree with you on that, Grant. I always thought that was a Trojan horse. I can't see what that's meant to be as a product market fit. Um, those players clearly are all doing it for the money, and as soon as they admit that, then there's nothing really of soul in there, and sport is all about soul. Um, you know, the, the the Tiger, Rory stuff, you know, I, I, I do think I would watch that more than, than I would watch the 70. I, I have got the access to uh, watch the golf tournaments every Sunday. Every Saturday and Sunday, they're on Sky here, Sky Italy. I don't watch them. It just, I think it's called the DP Tour. I just don't watch them. Um, and that's telling. You know, it's not that I don't like golf. It's not that I don't enjoy, you know, coming down the straight and, you know, see whether somebody's going to choke or somebody's going to hold a great putt. To, you know, it's, I, I enjoy that. I just don't want to get involved at 72 holes. And that's a commitment that's too big for me now. So this thing be more interesting where, you know, I can hear some of the things that I like. Maybe. You know, uh, for me, it all comes down to the personalities. I think it's a massive error not to involve women. It, it really is a massive error. You know, uh, not because they're... Forget that they're great players, and they are great players. It's just, I believe that in the modern world, that man-woman uh, interaction that goes beyond... Call it flirting if you want. I know people will just be aghast at this kind of thing, but I understand popular culture. This is the kind of stuff that works. Just like Moonlighting worked with Bruce Willis uh, and Sybil Shepherd, fucking flirting works as it did in Doctor House. And guess what? Both series, this is an incredible off the, off the to left field rant, but it's a good one now that I've thought about when th those two series, when those two series, those couples finally got together, the attractiveness of the series died. Doctor House, when he got together with Cuddy, it was over. It was not same when when Bruce Willis got together with Sybil Shepherd. The the kind of like forbidden fruit of the flirting, I think, would be a can huge because like there's a lot of good looking women golfers now let's be honest you know so um somebody status quo and not doing anything i don't think is an option live is shit uh this one has got a lot of promise but they're missing a trick with women that would be my summary my friend so 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 let me get this straight what you're proposing is basically a golf version of love island yeah fuck that's great golf island <laughs> Golf, golf, you, pe you, people you people Island laugh, green. you people laugh, you're not into the realities of popular <laughs> culture in 2023. Gun, would you tune in to TGL if it was PGA against Liv? Uh, I, I, I mean, look, I'd, I'd, give it, I'd give it a try, John. I, I, I will give TGL a try. I tried to watch Liv. I, I honestly tried to watch it. And I couldn't. It was, it was unwatchable to me, right? I'm sure I know there are people that like to watch it, but I I sat down one Sunday afternoon and said, right, I'm going to watch two hours of this broadcast. It was it was impossible for me to do. TGL, I will absolutely give it a try, but I think I'm going to see some of the greatest golfers of their era hitting balls into a screen, 
and they're going to be mic'd up and there's going to be a lot of kind of fake banter. It's like, right, Dads, we need some bants here. So, you know, make sure you, you give it to people, right? You know, don't cross any lines. Got to be careful with your bants. Make sure it's not too on the knuckle, right? Don't mention this, this, this well, and well, this. Sorry, he, sorry, this Grant, he's acceptable Grant, banter. Grant, sorry, are they not playing on a course? It's a simulator. No, it's a simulator. Oh it's indoor. God. It's indoor. <laughs> And here's the thing, Roger. And here's the thing. Fuck. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're fucking joking. Here are your acceptable banter points, right? Here's what you can't banter about. Here's what we want you to banter about. And then once you're on the green, we're going to step over here and we're going to create the putt for you on this real putting green so you can have a real putt at it. And I think they're going to do real bunker shots. I, it's it's. I didn't realize there's that, man. nothing I, real I, about I, I, it. I didn't. I didn't. Nothing. I, I thought they were. Nothing. I thought they were playing. And I think normal golf. No, no, no. It's it's no. a simulator. So they've built a big facility in Florida, and they're going to have fans there, like you know, gladiators, because that was real as well, right? It's going to be fans there, and everyone's going to have their little team back placards. It's going to be so fake, Rog. I will give it a try, but I'm. I didn't realise that. I'd be staggered I am if so I made it off more the pace. I am so off the pace. I didn't realise that. But coming back to your point about top golf and all that at the start, uh, you made a joke about it, but I think those two, the Baltimore and the Philly one, you know, I don't think they're in great locations. You know, like in these days, you know, you don't want to have to be going through, you know, escape from New York to get to your top golf facility. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, <laughs> and they wouldn't have been built if they couldn't have borrowed the money for nothing. Right, right, right. right. You're right. Okay, you're right. Um, again, I feel obliged to put the other side of the trade on this one. If you look at the market for golf simulators indoor for personal use, they're going through the roof. So, you know, so the thing is, your point is top golf, maybe over expanded to locations that if you'd done a little bit of due diligence, you wouldn't have gone to. And if capital had been a little bit of expense, if you'd have said that's too much of a risk, I give you that 100%. Well, I've, listen, I've got one more great story. I don't know if either of you two have seen this story, but this this will absolutely make you laugh. Have you um, have you heard, uh, and this is definitely an own goal, have you heard of the K-pop band Stacey? I have, yeah. Have you heard of this? this you have? How no. the hell have you heard of Stacey? K-pop is a real and thing. And you didn't know that... Yeah, this but is I, unbelievable. You didn't, right. Roger, you didn't know they were hitting it in their screen at GGL, but you know who Stacey is. That's me. That's <laughs> Mate, you, are, you are a riddle wrapped inside an enigma. So, so this 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 K-pop band, I think there's like seven of them, right? And they were doing a show in Dallas last month as part of their US tour. And of course, the Texas Rangers are in the <laughs> they're in the World Series, right? So they, yep. So they're going to play. They're going to play a, a tournament a concert in Dallas and the Texas Rangers. So to honour them, they decide they're going to wear Rangers jerseys for this for this show so they order they order seven rangers jerseys and they come out on stage in, in dallas wearing the McEwen's lager 1990s <laughs> glasgow rangers kits <laughs> on stage much to the consternation of just about everybody in the uh in the crowd they they kind of cut the sleeves off and made them look cool but they were the old McEwen's lager <laughs> rangers football jerseys um, I kind of will pass off, but they've now been invited to Ibrox, apparently, 
And so Stacey, they are either going to appear or they have appeared at Ibrox to tell the crowd that they love Rangers. We love Rangers. You can't, you can't write they, this and stuff. They, and they've got their Texas Rangers baseball shirts to prove the point at Ibrox. <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly these right. Poor, these poor it's people. Just fantastic. These poor people. I mean, like, they don't know anything about this and their souls have been eternally damned by putting on that jersey. <laughs> you know, they don't understand this, but they will go to hell. <laughs> Roger, and it's funny, the, the one, the, the first person I think of when I think of that McCured Lager Rangers top is Gaza. Is yeah. that really? Yeah. I do too. I do too. Yeah. That's the, the um, Gaza. Um, Gaza and McCoy. Yeah. What a, just what one, what a gruesome twosome. Oh no, they were a, they, 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 they were a great team. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I, oh, fantastic! I saw, fantastic. I saw that game against Leeds United, the famous uh, Champions League, or was it still the European Cup game? Listen, th those goals by Hatley and McCoyst, you know, both of them are worldies. They really are, you know. Um, much as it pains me to say it, but um, they were a great team. Um, but let's remember where is the past tense. The new version of them um, is still oh, here we go. Here is, we go. Is still struggling. Here we go. You know, <laughs> he's, he's never going to let that go. No, liquidated, he's, he's, he's liquidated is the word. Being the wounded. <laughs> never going to let it go, Rog. Never going to go. Well, listen. Have either of you two fine gentlemen got anything else before we wrap up? Because we've we've, we've got one thing over the hour. Yeah. What else you got, John, for us? I've got one thing. And obviously it's about football because I'm a football guy. There was something that, that, that might have gone past most people this weekend. And that was the performance of Jeremy Doku from Manchester City. Now, I've always loved, right from the very start with George Best, as I said to you, that, that opened my, my father to me, see. And then we moved up to, to, um, to, to Scotland to be closer to their family. And as you know, football's hereditary. So all my family were Celtic sports. So I've got to take them along to Celtic. Jimmy Johnson was playing for Celtic. A mercurial winger. Great skills. You know I mean? Pushkas and all of the other Madrid players loved Jimmy Johnson. And right through all the players that I think have been the greatest in the world's history. Maradona. Lionel Messi. Dribblers, dribblers, love taking a person player on, going up to him, trying to shift his weight, going, going on the outside and getting a cross in. Now, that has been edged out of the game over the last few years. And that's why there is no air apparent to, to Messi, because ball carry is now, in some teams, frowned upon. And I'm not even talking about teams at the level of Manchester City or Bayern Munich. It's been frowned upon, lowered down, because they'll try to be Manchester City, but they don't have the tools at their disposal because their players aren't good enough to do that. So what they end up is a pedestrian way of playing football that, that the fans come and don't engage with, uh, as, as I spoke about earlier. So Man City, who are, you may have got that, but play an amazing way He's knocking the ball about, trying to do overloads, looking for the in-between lines, looking for the spaces, exploiting them. All of a sudden, they go out and buy Jeremy Doku, 
who is an old-fashioned drop the shoulder, take somebody up the outside, and get a cross in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's played on Saturday. It was absolutely sensational. And people say, it was just Bournemouth. Do you know how hard Bournemouth that would be? When they, when they, when they, it's hard to win football games now for, for whoever yeah, yeah. you are. They, they double-team you. They, they, they fill spaces really quickly. They're really organised. And, and all of a sudden, Doku's having the, the time of his life out there taking people on. And, and that speaks again to the point I made about their recruitment, them speak, speaking from the same the same page. You, you, they've got a striker, Haaland, probably will become the greatest goal scorer in Premier League history if he stays around long enough and Real Madrid don't come, come calling. But you're only utilising maybe 80% of his talents because nobody's getting past the fullback and getting it whipped in because they've got... Fantastic players, Grealish, Foden, Silva. But they all come inside. That's the way Pep plays. But not now, because they've identified something that he wants to bring back in the game, which is a winger that goes at them. And I am praying, praying that this brings on a load of copycats in the same way that this tippy-tappy, ticker-tacker football did, but for players... It's more exciting for fans when they go along and watch somebody grow up. And I don't care if they keep getting the ball taken off them. I don't care because one time they'll get that maze, they'll get beat two or three people and they'll get it in. And all the fans will be, they'll be all be walking home saying, we don't care about VAR. We've got our own wee Jackie Johnson. We've got our own little uh, Lionel Messi playing there. That's what I hope. And that was my goal for this weekend, which, the, which was the... And by the way, nobody, no, no, haven't ended notice either. How under Alvarez didn't score at the weekend? Yeah, I, it's funny. I um, I didn't, I had, didn't know who Doku was until I saw him play for Man City this year. I saw a, a couple, you know, saw him play a couple of games. Thought, wow, this guy's really good. Where the hell is he? Where has he come from? But you know, they won what six one Bournemouth. He had a goal and four assists in a game. Yeah, I mean, it's extraordinary. He was absolutely brilliant. Um, and and I, I, I you know, I. I meant to Google him. I don't know anything about his background. Um, I didn't. He wasn't a player I was aware of, but I've seen him play. I think three times now, and each time he's been absolutely superb. But but he was under the radar um, because yeah. he never played yeah. that. I mean, that that's a huge amount. Of, usually, when people come into the Premier League and they go to that level, I'm sorry, I'm about talking too much. No, but I, I get excited when I talk about wingers. No, no, no. Um, when when people come in at, and and hit the ground running like yes and and. I know we're in November, but when players, people make two quick judgments on on footballs. They come from a different environment. They get dropped into the Premier League, which is the hardest league in the world to play in. And this is a championship. And to referee. Those people don't know what they're talking about. Um, it's a hard league. And you're changing your environment from your, your, your home, your food, your TV, everything that makes a person, a young man happy. It's, it's kind of changed for them. And so for them to hit the ground running, him to hit the ground running in November, you think, this boy must have been a child superstar. He must have been from Man City to Brian right. playing in this team. But Ren, he actually never played that many games. That many games. He had some bad injuries, but he's come in. Obviously, um, Guardiola's got a hold of him. He's already got the raw talent, and they just let him go. Just let him go. And this is the freedom. And of course, it's easier to play in Man City's team than it is. In, just about any team in the world, maybe bar Real Madrid. So I think that that I'm looking for. I think 
Bellingham's the best player in the world. I think he will be over the next five, ten years. I agree with your your um uh last your, week. The last few weeks talking about um and, and, but I think he's Zidane. And Zidane was amazing. He's one of the best players I've ever seen alive. But he's not Jimmy Johnson. He's not Messi. He's not Maradona. Do you mean those are the players that for me are the players that made me want to play the game and make me want to watch. So if I was if I could watch City next week and Doku's played, I'm watching them. Eh? Interesting. I'm definitely but John, watching them. John, John, gets the... John, I mean, yeah. like, on that same point, I think it's a great point. Um, two or three weeks ago, less so in the last couple of weeks where I think Arsenal have come off a little bit. No coincidence that Odegaard, if that's his name, hasn't played. I think he's fundamental to them. Um, but when he is playing and when they are ticking, you know, how quickly do they get the ball to Martinelli and to Saka? And they go at the they go at the fullback, both of them. They do. And 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 you know, I think you know, if we gave Ange a lot of credit earlier on, and we didn't give Arsenal anything, you know, big up to 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 the fact that they've got two real old fashioned wingers, and the, you know, the game plan seems to be to get the ball to them early and have a go, son. So you know, uh, that's why last year especially I really took to Arsenal because exactly the point you're making there you know one of the things that's disappointed me a little bit is you know like Jack Grealish great player you know natural talent you know all of that kind of stuff he came to and it's, he's had it trained out of him he's had it coached out of him you know he cuts back now when do you see Grealish going past anybody? Never because that's not the way they play coming in off the left so why is this guy different why is this guy oh, been given the license Doku because one, because he's got pace. So real pace. He's got pace to burn and to get in that position because they're so tightly marked. But Man City can, can switch the play quickly to him and then and then he's got the electric pace. And I don't think that, um, and I think Foden's world class, I don't think they've got the pace that doc has got. I think when he gets there, it's just like, it's blistering. Quick wingers are, it's a joy you're watching. Yeah, just, that's yeah, what I agree. I agree. I've got one more question for you both. I don't care who takes it, but um, what do you make of what Harry Kane's doing in the Bundesliga? What's he doing? I've, I've not been funny. Scoring goals for fun. I think he's got, I'm not been he's funny. got 17 oh, goals sorry, in 13 sorry, I, I, games. I thought you were being funny. He's unbelievable. From, from the reason 17 goals in 13 games, three hat tricks already, Rog. Good for him. Who watches the Bundesliga? Uh, um, amazing. No, I, 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 I John, you, 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 it, is it a simple fact that he's too good for the Bundesliga? Is that what it is, or is it just that he really is he's a, just a bloody top, good striker? Top, he's just a top, top quality striker. You mean people say, "Oh, he can only play at Tottenham because there's not that much pressure," blah blah blah. Right? You mean he's a top world class striker that I wish Manchester United had bought? Yeah, yeah. He right. would have been. Or, he would have been the difference between them struggling with that and them being competing for Champions oh, League places. No way, John. But to go, no way, John. I'm telling you, no. It would have been. They, they, they are they are rotten to the core. Yep. There's no. I mean, you could you could have you know four excellent players in there, and you know it's it's like the way Inter Milan used to be. You know, you bought great players and and you dragged them down. That's what United do now. They drag players down. You know, uh, so I. You know, I take your point, Carrie Kane. I don't like him, but I'll, I'll, I'll bow to your your knowledge. Um, but at United, he would have died. I think let everybody else dies, John. 
would we'll agree we'll this see. year. I think they, they sign him and one other, and I think the challenge. I don't think they're challenging for the league because I think that's ten years away from him. But I think he would have been um, he would have been a real addition to them. Mm. All right. Well, listen, gents. It's uh, we've we've run way past, which is always uh, fun because you suddenly look up and you realise you've gone way past the hour. So. Uh, Thank you very much, John. Um, listen, for anybody listening, what's your Twitter handle so they can follow you on there? Because you post some good stuff on Twitter. At JCKeysport7. There we go. Well, and we'll, we'll post that. We'll, we'll link you when we put the uh, when we put the pod out. We'll tag we you will. in there so people can see it there. And, um, and uh, this, will go out, this will go out on Thursday. Thanks so much for get, joining us, John. Yeah, thank it's, you, it's, John. It's fun to talk to you in person. It's just as much fun. Uh, with a microphone and a camera. Rog, thanks to you as well. And of course, out there, everybody, to you, thanks as always for listening to us. If you don't follow us on Twitter, I'm going to remind you how to do that again. You'll find us at Entertained R. That's the word A-R-E. You'll find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And you'll find myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Gentlemen, stay warm and dry in uh, Scotland and stay... Keep the sun tan lotion on in Italy, Rog. Yeah, 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 yeah. I will, I will. Take care. All right, fellas, take care.